Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Day is a day where we can remember that we're all addressed as children uh, when we come to worship God as our Father. Assuming some of you kids have heard dad jokes before. Uh, dad jokes is a term that I've just come across maybe in the last year or so. Seems to have become... Uh, more popular in usage over that period of time. Before that, I hadn't really heard about it, but in case you're still not familiar with a dad joke, it typically refers to kind of a corny anecdote or bad pun that evokes eye rolls and groans when you hear it. But in celebration of Father's Day today, I thought I would share with you some examples of dad jokes about dads. So we could start with something like this. If I can get that to work, Dan. Here we go. It's a famous, relatively famous father, Darth Vader there. Luke, I'm reading a book about anti-gravity. It's impossible to put down. Ha, ha, ha. There's more. I've got more. The next one is... I still can't get mine to work, Dan. Is there a trick to this? What's that? Yeah, it's on. Yeah, it's not advancing for me. The question is, what does a... You showed it too quick, Dan. I'm not through. (laughs) Get back. We're going to try to get this to work. There we go. Mine's working now. What does a baby computer call his father? Data. Some of you guessed that one. Maybe this is harder. This is a good one. What did the buffalo say to us when his son left? Bye, son. Why did, why did the father tell his daughter not to trust trees? They're shady. Why did the dad change his mind about growing a beard? It grew on him. I told you, they're corny anecdotes and bad puns. But today is Father's Day, as you know which can be traced back to 1909 when Sonora Smart Dodd, who was a young girl being raised along with her five siblings by her Civil War veteran father after their mother died in childbirth. And she lobbied for the observation of Father's Day alongside the increasing celebration of Mother's Day that was happening at the time. President Calvin Coolidge called for states to observe Father's Day as early as 1924, but it didn't become a national holiday until 1972 under President Nixon. But of course, the importance of honoring fathers was recognized long before then, because God himself calls for the honoring of fathers and mothers, not just one day out of the year, but every day, by including it as the fifth of Ten Commandments, to honor your father and your mother. But the ultimate elevation of fatherhood doesn't come from a U.S. holiday. It doesn't come even from its inclusion in the Ten Commandments, but the ultimate elevation of fatherhood comes from a Bible that consistently reveals God to us as a father. Consider that within the Trinity itself, God the Father has existed eternally alongside the eternally begotten Son and the Holy Spirit. And consider also, in addition, that Jesus throughout his ministry referred to and enjoyed intimate fellowship with God as his Father. But the amazing thing is, he bids his followers to do the same, to refer to and enjoy intimate fellowship with God 
as their father. In one of the most familiar places where we see this call or invitation to appeal to the fatherhood of God personally for us is in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning on Father's Day as we consider the fatherhood of God. Now, before we read the passage, I want you to know that I'm sensitive to and I'm aware of the challenges of addressing this topic because I know that some of you did not or do not have good relationships with your earthly fathers. Maybe you didn't get along or don't get along. Maybe you struggle to know how to honor someone who is not that honorable of a person. Maybe your father didn't treat your mother well. Maybe he was uninvolved in your life, maybe unsupportive, maybe harsh or critical or angry or perhaps violent and abusive, and Father's Day just brings up a lot of wounds for you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you never had an opportunity to know your biological father, and so there's a measure of grief today, and perhaps you have felt abandoned by your father. I also know that for many of you, you've had wonderful relationships with your earthly fathers, but there's also an element of grief today for you on this Father's Day because your father is no longer here. He's no longer living, and so there's an aspect of grief to that as well. There might be some here who want to be fathers that aren't fathers, and so there's pain in that. And I also know that there's probably many of you here this morning who are fathers, but you struggle with the feeling that you haven't been a very good father, and so you have deep regrets, and perhaps some of your children don't have a close relationship with you, perhaps some of your children aren't walking with the Lord, and you deal with this constant guilt of asking yourself whether you did something wrong. So I want you to know I understand it's complicated, and it can be a difficult day for many people for many reasons. But no matter what feelings Father's Day evokes for you, it's important for all of us to have an accurate perception of the fatherhood of God. It's a perception that comes not from our own experience of our earthly fathers or, or our own fatherhood, where we have a tendency to project upward onto God every flaw every shortcoming, every sin, and project that onto God from the bottom up. But we need to have a perception of the fatherhood of God that comes from Scripture from the top down. Because what's important for us to understand is that true fatherhood, true fatherhood is defined by who God is as our Father, not our experience. True fatherhood is defined by who God is as Father and not based on our experience. In his book, uh, just Ask by J.D. Greer, which is a book that many of you just finished reading as part of our spring equip groups. He offers this helpful counsel. He says, reverse the order of your comparison. Rather than seeing your heavenly father through the lens of your earthly one, evaluate your earthly father through the lens of your heavenly one. J.I. Packer, a well-known author and theologian, also offers this valuable insight. He says, the thought of our maker becoming our perfect parent, faithful in love and care, generous and thoughtful, interested in all we do, respecting our individuality, skillful in training us, wise in guidance, always available, is a thought which can have meaning for everybody. Whether we come to it by saying, I had a wonderful father, and I see that God is like that only more so, or by saying, my father disappointed me here and here and here, but God will be very different. Or even by saying, I have never known what it is to have a father on earth, but I thank God I now have one in heaven. He concludes with this. It can be safely said that the person for whom the thought of God's perfect fatherhood is meaningless or repellent does not 
exist. And so all of us need to have the benefit of having an accurate perception of the fatherhood of God. So with that in mind, we're going to turn to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. You can open your Bibles there. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you this morning, uh, you should be able to find a paperback Bible underneath one of the seats in front of you. Our text is on page 473 of those paperback Bibles. But again, we're going to be reading some very familiar verses to many of you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. If you are able, I invite you now to stand for the reading of our sermon passage this morning. Jesus says to his disciples, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Well, it's clear here that Jesus is teaching us as his disciples to address God as our Father in prayer. But he's not just doing that. Jesus is also pointing out to us here in this prayer that we have at least four blessings that flow to us from the fatherhood of God. At least four blessings that flow to us from the fatherhood of God. And we're going to look at those. It begins with this one. You have the blessing of the Father's faithful presence. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you have the blessing of the Father's faithful presence. One of the things that's becoming increasingly clear to us through social science research over the past decade or two is that the presence of a father is immensely important. It's immensely important to have a father present. Just consider some statistics from the United States. Children from fatherless households are more likely to commit crimes 85% of youth who are currently incarcerated grew up in fatherless homes. Children growing up without a father present are two times more likely to die by suicide. They're twice as likely to not finish high school. Daughters from single-parent homes without a father present are 164% more likely to get pregnant before marriage. The absence of a father is also a contributing factor in substance abuse, with children from fatherless homes accounting for 75% of adolescent patients being treated in substance abuse centers, and 90% of U.S. youth who run away from home or who become homeless for any reason come from fatherless homes. Those are enormous statistics. I'm going to say something now that is pretty obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Both a man and a woman are necessary in order to produce offspring. All of you are here this morning as a result of a man and a woman coming together in sexual union and producing offspring, and that is by God's design. But what follows from that, it is also by God's design that children thrive and flourish best when both mother and father are engaged and involved in the loving nurture of their children. That's exactly what these statistics bear out. And bear in mind, these statistics are not being produced by some kind of Christian organization with an agenda to promote and restore the nuclear family. This is not distinctively Christian research. It's just simply social science research. It's showing the importance of having fathers present in the home. And it's partly for this reason that First Choice for Women, which is a crisis pregnancy center here uh, in Muncie, has developed a fatherhood initiative Shannon Bryan is the coordinator of that fatherhood initiative where 
They're having men come alongside fathers involved in crisis pregnancies and encouraging them to stay engaged and to be present with their children. They're ministering to these expecting fathers. I know Jonathan Bow and Pastor Bob are involved in training for this ministry. So if you're interested in learning more about being involved in that, you can talk to Shannon or Jonathan or Pastor Bob. I'm sure they'd be willing to give you more information about the fatherhood initiative from First Choice for Women. Now, having said all of this, it's important for us to be careful anytime we're dealing with data or anytime we're dealing with statistics and not oversimplify. Because while we can say that the majority of youth, say, who are incarcerated for crimes came from fatherless homes, it is not accurate then to infer that most people who grow up with absent fathers end up in prison. That's not accurate. Most people who grow up in fatherless homes don't end up in prison. Those who are in prison have a large majority of not having fathers present, but that's not the same as everybody who doesn't have a father present ends up in prison. Most don't. And in fact, we also know that there are some who have grown up with good, loving, godly fathers present who are in prison. And so clearly there's other relevant factors with these complex kinds of things. But it seems undeniable that absent fathers is a major issue. There's a lot of ways that we can address the problems of this issue. But one of the most important things we can do to mitigate the problems of absent fathers is to proclaim the fatherhood of God. Because whether you have or did or are growing up without a father present in the home, there is a father in heaven who is present. There is a father in heaven who is ever present. And so Jesus teaches us to address him as our father. If we're disciples of Jesus, following him by faith, he teaches us to address our father in heaven. Now, we need to say at this point that when Jesus says our Father in heaven, he's not then suggesting that God is also an absent Father. He's away from us or withdrawn in heaven. When Jesus says our Father, he's talking about the Father's imminence and closeness to us. But when he says our Father in heaven, he's speaking of the Father's transcendence, his glory, and his majesty. He's not speaking of his absence. In fact, we know from Scripture that God is ever-present with his children, and we have constant access to him through faith in Jesus. This is actually something that David knew even in the Old Testament, that God was someone who was always present. When David writes in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, he says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. Highest place I can go, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, lowest place I can go, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He also asserts in Psalm 145, 18, that the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And we're reminded in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, that God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So Christian, disciple of Jesus, on this Father's Day, rejoice that you have a Father in heaven who is present and he is always with you. You have the blessing of your Father in heaven and his faithful presence. But you not only have the blessing of his faithful presence, you have the blessing of the Father's sufficient provision as well. When you hear the Lord teaching us these petitions in the Lord's Prayer, it's not just that he's telling us what to ask a God for. He's telling us what we can expect from our Father in heaven to provide for us. And he does provide for us. And this is why Jesus instructs us to go before 
our Father and seek daily bread. To ask Him because He's the provider of our daily bread. Now, when Jesus says to ask for daily bread, it's likely that He's not simply referring to food, but rather referring to everything that encompasses our physical and material needs. And this would include not only food, but clothing, shelter, perhaps, perhaps access to health care, uh, perhaps gainful employment would even be included in here. But what Jesus wants us to know is that God knows about and He cares about and tends to and sufficiently provides for our physical and our bodily needs. This is exactly what Jesus begins to stress later on in the Sermon on the Mount in this very chapter. After He teaches us the Lord's Prayer later in chapter 6, He's instructing us not to worry. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, just a few verses down from the Lord's Prayer. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He's talking about provision here, and he's talking about provision of food, but notice what he says. Look at the birds. They get fed, and it's not their heavenly Father that feeds them, it's yours. Your heavenly Father feeds even the birds. And then he concludes with this question. Are you not of more value than they? So we can trust in his sufficient provision. He says this in verse 31, a few verses later. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? See, it's a broader concern of material provisions than just food and water. What shall we wear? Don't worry about that. Don't be anxious about that. Why? For the Gentiles... Those who are outside the covenant community seek after all these things, and not their heavenly Father, but your heavenly Father. He knows that you need them all. Notice that. He knows about them, and He knows that they're needs that you have. He doesn't dismiss them as, as things that you just might happen to want, but don't actually need. No, your heavenly Father knows that you have these needs. He's created you with these needs. He's created you dependent upon Him, and He's created you to know Him as Father so that you might know His sufficient provision of these things for you. All of this led Hudson Taylor, uh, the missionary to China in the late 1800s, to say this. He says, it's not difficult for me to remember that the little ones need breakfast in the morning, dinner at midday, and something before they go to bed at night. Indeed, I could not forget. And I find it impossible to suppose that our Heavenly Father is less tender or mindful than I. I am a very poor father, but it is not my habit to forget my children. God is a very, very good father, and it is not his habit to forget his children. It's interesting that Jesus uses a similar kind of reasoning himself later in the Sermon on the Mount. If we go to Matthew chapter 7, just a chapter after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this in verses 9 through 11. He says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread? So once again, understand the scenario here. It's a father and a son and a need, a need for food. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You have a father who sufficiently provides for your needs. Now this doesn't mean... That if you know God as your Father in heaven, He's going to give you everything that you ask for. I mean, no good father does that for their children, to give them everything that they ask for. After all, we can sometimes think that we're asking for fish, but we're actually asking for a serpent because we don't know any better. 
And our good Father doesn't grant all those requests. He doesn't give us everything we ask for, but He does give us what we need. But in addition to being faithfully present and being a sufficient provider, we also have the blessing of knowing God and His compassionate pardon. You have the blessing of the Father's compassionate pardon. Jesus instructs us to go to God the Father for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. He teaches us to pray. And this reminds us that we have more than just physical needs and material needs. We have psychological needs and emotional needs and spiritual needs. And our Heavenly Father attends to all of them. And like the children that we are, we are often immature and disobedient. Right? As children, we are often immature and disobedient. And God responds to our immaturity and our disobedience with compassion and forgiveness. Do you know how important it is that we understand that and embrace that truth? He does not respond to us as we're inclined to think that He responds to us because He grows impatient or harsh. He responds to our immaturity and our disobedience with compassion and forgiveness. He is not seeking to crush us. He does not shame us or expose us. He does not grow harsh or intolerant or abusive or cold or hateful in light of our frequent shortcomings and our sins. He doesn't. He's not exacting in his punishment, insisting that he execute nothing but justice with no mercy. He doesn't hold us to an impossibly high standard to reach. And then when we fail to reach it, is filled with bitterness and resentment, conspiring how he might punish us unless we can somehow find a way to atone for our own guilt. Listen, God the Father is not like that. And we struggle to believe that sometimes. But he's not that way. He is full of compassion and pardon for his children. Now, I know it's difficult for almost all of us, to believe that that's true. But I know it might be especially difficult for you to believe that truth if you've grown up with an earthly father who was exacting, who was demanding, who was harsh, who was critical, who was never satisfied, who was unforgiving. And it's likely if you grew up with a father like that that you have difficulty being demanding and harsh with yourself and being harsh and demanding with other people and have a, having a difficult time believing and God's compassionate pardon and loving acceptance of you. You might have a hard time believing that, but it doesn't mean it's not true, because that's who God the Father is toward His children. He gives them compassionate pardon. Hear what the Puritan John Flavel writes. He says, This God in whose hand are all creatures is your Father, Christian, and is much more tender of you than you are or can be of yourself. Do you believe that? Do you live like you believe that? Another Puritan, Thomas Wilcox, says this, Never for a moment dare to take the judge's place by proclaiming irreparable guilt when he, God, proclaims hope, grace, and pardon. That's what he proclaims to you. Not exacting punishment and harshness, but hope, grace, and pardon. Now, how do we know that that's true? How do we know we're not just making this up because that's what we really want to be the case? Well, we know this is true because this is what God says. 
This is how God describes himself in his word, inspired by his own spirit. Listen to what Psalm 103 verses 10 through 14 say. It says, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Do you hear that? He's not exacting. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. How do we fear him? We know that we fear him when we've come to faith in Jesus and are following Jesus as a disciple, and we know God is our Father through that. Psalmist continues, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So far from exacting harsh punishment, he removes them from us as far as the east is from the west. Now listen to this. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. He deals with us tenderly and lovingly and gently. And when we're immature and when we sin, provides for us compassionate pardon and absolution from our guilt. And so Christian, you not only have the blessing of the Father's faithful presence, you not only have the blessing of his sufficient provision, you have his compassionate pardon as well. There's one more thing as well. You have the blessing of the Father's powerful protection. Good fathers protect their children. Because that's what God the Father does. And so Jesus teaches us to go before our Heavenly Father and seek protection in the last petition. Where he instructs us to ask, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our Father in Heaven protects us from evil. Now, of course, that does not mean that if we know God as our Father in Heaven, that we're not going to experience any trouble or pain in life. That's obviously not true. We know that that's not the case. But it does mean this, that if we know God as our Father in heaven, it means that whatever trouble or difficulty or affliction we're experiencing in life, that God has a good purpose behind it. That there's a good reason for it. That he's disciplining us. And this is really the heart of what we find in Hebrews chapter 12, about God's discipline of his own children. Discipline is not synonymous with punishment. Discipline is instruction and training and scraping out what needs to be scraped out so that we can grow. That's what discipline is. But listen to what the author of Hebrews writes in verses 7-11 of chapter 12. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. And earthly fathers make mistakes. We don't know everything. We do as best that we can. And I know that some people had fathers that didn't even do that. That they were poor, sinful fathers. But most of us do the best that we can for a short time, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. That's the good purpose of this, to share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so God, as a good and loving Father, does not fail to discipline His children. And this is often not pleasant. It's often painful. But God is doing so as a way of protecting you and delivering you from the sinfulness of your own heart, 
and delivering and protecting you from the evil one who would seek to destroy you. So if I can just address fathers for a moment this morning. Fathers, if you want to be a godly father, look to the fatherhood of God. Be faithfully present with and for your children. Engage with them. Be present with them. Be around. Make time for them. Provide for their needs spiritually, emotionally, physically. Pardon them for their disobedience and their immaturity with grace and with patience. And protect them physically emotionally, and spiritually because this is what God the Father does. He's a perfect and loving Father to imperfect and flawed and sinful sons and daughters. But I want you to know this too, fathers. He is also a perfect and loving Father to flawed, imperfect, and sinful fathers as well. Fathers, He loves you not only as His sons through faith in Christ, He loves you as the fathers that he's called you to be. And so remember that. But it's possible still that some of you might be feeling that you've been let down by God the Father. That you needed him to be present at some point in time. And he wasn't. He didn't show up. He was silent. Or you needed him to provide for you in some way. Physically, emotionally, or spiritually. And he didn't. Or you needed his pardon and it felt more like he punished you instead. Or that you needed his protection. You needed him to protect you from making some kind of bad decision. Or you needed him to protect you from some kind of evil. From sickness or some kind of loss or death of a loved one. Or you needed him to protect you from the sins of others against you. And he didn't. And you're carrying the scars of that. Well, just let me say... I'm not going to pretend to have answers for why God does what he does and why he doesn't do what he doesn't do. I don't have all the answers for that. What I can do is invite you, Christian, to trust in your heavenly father. To trust that whatever pain or affliction or hardship you have gone through or are going through, that there is a good loving purpose behind that. Trust him that he is able to redeem your pain. Trust that he can bring light out of darkness. Trust in your Heavenly Father. But you might ask, well, why? Why should I do that? And I can't answer that question. It's because He loves you. And you can know that He loves you. And you can know how much He loves you because He's demonstrated that love for you through an extraordinary, sacrificial act of grace. And this sacrament of the Lord's Supper testifies to that extraordinary sacrificial act of grace. When God the Father delivered over to death His Son, His only begotten Son, His beloved Son, to give up His body to be crucified, which is represented by this bread. He poured out His blood on the cross, represented by this cup. And the reason that the Father did that is so that He could take lawless rebels delinquents, strays, lift you up out of the gutter and adopt you to be his very own son and daughter by his bountiful grace. That's why he did that. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper testifies not only to the depths 
of Jesus' love who gave up himself for sinners. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper also testifies to the depths of the Father's love who gave up his Son for sinners that he might adopt them as his children. But we have to remember that Jesus did have to be rejected in order for us to be accepted and adopted as sons and daughters. Because Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, that we were by nature not children of God, but we were by nature children of wrath because of our sins and transgressions. We are not children of God by nature. We are children of God by grace. We are children of God only by adopting grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what John says in John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It is only by faith in Jesus that you can have and know and pray to God as your Father in heaven. It's only through Jesus that you can do that and through faith in him. But if you are united to Jesus by faith, if you're looking to him as your Savior, you can know that God is your Father in heaven and he is present for you. He provides for you. He pardons you. And he protects you. And he's protected you from the most serious consequences of your sins and transgressions. He has delivered you from condemnation and death out of his great love for you. A love that is so deep that he signed your adoption papers with the blood of his own son. A love that is so deep, he has made you a co-heir with Jesus out of his love for you that loves you just as he loves Jesus. Did you know that? That the Father's love for you is the love with which he loves Jesus. If you are in Jesus by faith. Because that's what Jesus himself says. In John chapter 17, verse 23, when he's praying to the Father, this is what he says. That the world may know that you, Father, sent me and loved them. Speaking about disciples here. Loved them even as you loved me. That is astounding. That the Father loves us with the love with which he has loved Jesus from all eternity. And that love has adopted us to be children. So Christian, you can rejoice today on Father's Day that you have a perfect Father in heaven. And you can trust him because he's given us his Son to show us how deep the Father's love is for us. And we're going to sing that in just a second. But I know Brandon Bowler, when he was preaching here uh, maybe a month or two ago, closed in the Lord's Prayer. And so that's what we're going to do as well. Reminding, being reminded that we can approach our Father in heaven, a perfect Father in heaven. No matter what your experiences have been like with your earthly fathers, we have a Father in heaven that's perfect and we can address Him and bring our needs before Him and know that He responds to those with the affection and love of a perfect Father. So let's, you can, you can uh, recite the Lord's Prayer with me as I close if you'd like. You don't have to, but I'm going to close in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.